everybody, and welcome to the seventh episode of Time Extend, your racing game podcast. My name's Adam Ismail, and today, as always, I'm joined with the wonderful Brendan Norrison, and today the two of us will be talking through some of the latest news topics in the racing genre, and then also touching on a featured topic at the end of the podcast. Yeah, and there are a lot of little news items to get through today. How you feeling, Brendan? Yeah, I think um, post E3... There's only a few topics worth discussing at this point, but we, from that show, we did get the announcement of Forza Horizon 4, which we won't discuss much today because, well, it's going to be another Horizon game, but it was good to see that our discussions in a previous podcast seemed to be aligned with Playground Games thinking, since we will be able to visit Scotland and other places in the UK in that game. Yeah, I'm very excited for it. I'm actually thinking about building a PC, uh, which I, I don't have a gaming PC, but it was watching that game's reveal that weirdly like even though I'm very jaded and like I see trailers all the time now and they don't really you know make me feel one way or the other I watched that E3 and I was like you know what I want to play that game and it's about time I build a PC so I'm gonna go for it I guess because it, it makes more sense than buying an Xbox to be honest yeah exactly and I mean I'm exactly in the same boat as you because it's been a while since I've been properly excited by a racing game with licensed content because it feels that we've been going around in circles for quite a while but it seems like Playground have chosen a nice, like a good area for the game to be based in and then the graphics are stunning as well. So it isn't quite a gaming PC for me but it's definitely considering a 4K TV to upgrade my old dusty 1080p model. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean if Playground can get their version of the UK, you know, at least better than the cruise version of the US, then we're in good shape. But I, I have faith that they will. Yeah, uh, but we're that's touch upon that news yeah, that, soon as well. <laughs> that's something we'll talk about later. Uh, so we'll get right into the news right now. And uh, the most recent p- uh, piece of news as we're doing this podcast, um, a couple days ago we learned that there is a new GT Sport update in the works. Not surprising, there is one every month. I mean, Every month does get a little bit more surprising because you always think, like, is this the last month? But Polyphony has been keeping this going for a while now, every month since the game's release. Uh, And now, the interesting thing about this one is that presumably it will have extra cars as they always do. We don't know what they are yet because usually we find out about that in, you know, closer to the end of the month, like a week before the update because these always tend to come at the end of the month. What we do have right now is a clip that's a couple seconds long. Of just like, I don't know, just like a bridge and kind of this like mountainscape in the background. It's very short. It's kind of at like a, a time of the day when everything's kind of like hazy and, and dark. Uh, but you can see this long bridge and people are already trying to figure out what it is. And there have been, there have been, I mean, my, myself included, but. Uh, there have been many terrible guesses <laughs> if you visit communities and forums around the interwebs. Uh, how do you feel about this? Um, well, firstly, I'd like to guess that everyone else is guessing that it's a previously existing track. I'm assuming that's what people are oh, trying to work that's, out. <laughs> I mean, of course. Yeah, of course, absolutely. So one of my favorite things that I keep seeing is uh, the first guess is always Grand Valley, which is like... People see a bridge in you know, like Grand Valley. Like, <laughs> if you have eyes, you can see like this bridge is like twice the length of the one at Grand Valley, and also the the relative sides of the world that connect to that bridge are completely different. So I don't know how they don't see that. 
I mean, judging on this clip, Grand Valley would be absolutely massive. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the other thing. Grand Valley would be like five times longer than this. I'm trying to think of what the other uh, great guesses I've seen are. You know, because people are so quick to point out it's Grand Valley. Somebody said midfield, which I'm like, what? Oh. Like, there's no part of midfield that does this. <laughs> oh, somebody said high speed ring because they gave it a bridge, but that bridge is even shorter than the Grand Valley one. It's yeah, just, that's tiny. <laughs> yeah, just really vague guesses that are always wrong. It's good to see that new tracks will be coming to GT Sport as we expect, but I mean, this might be me being a bit jaded. But it feels like Polyphony are still going down that well of um, original tracks that are more scenic rather than atmospheric. So when you, we talk about Grand Valley, of course, you've got the big grandstands around the track and it does feel like a real racing circuit. But this feels like it's going to be more in line with Sierra and those type of tracks that came in the Gran Turismo 6. And Matterhorn as well, because people wanted to race down the side of a, a mountain, of course. But, right, um, yeah. Yeah, it looks good, but at the same time... I'm, I'm getting, I, I quite enjoy things more like the Dragon Trail and tracks like that compared to these. I mean, maybe I'm over, maybe I'm jumping in too hard here before we actually see what it is, but I just get that kind of serene feel to this track. Like it's going to be one that's great for photo mode enthusiasts, but I'm not sure what else it'll offer above that. Yeah, I mean, one of the popular guesses is Sierra, but the thing about that guess is that I, I maybe sort of agree with it now i have not driven that track in like three or four years and i have no intention to much less even watch a youtube video of it so (laughs) i'm not even going to go out my way to find out if that's this track because that was an incredibly boring and unnecessary track um but that might be the case somebody had a really good guess on gt planet that it was this um which i i hoped somebody like as soon as i kind of saw surroundings like i'm hopes i'm hoping somebody recognizes that and they actually pegged it as possibly being a location in Turkey based on the presence of this castle next to the bridge. Um, if you go on Google Maps, you look at the surrounding environment, you look at where castle is and the bridge, kind of makes sense. And, you know, Polyphony is always looking for different locations around the world as they're kind of like muse, you know, to, to inspire them to build a track. So I really wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Um, it, it's interesting for me because my family's Turkish and I've actually been to that area of the world before. Uh, so, so that's pretty cool. I don't think I've been on that bridge, but I was on, there are like three bridges that connect the, the European and Asian sides of, of, uh, Turkey that go through Istanbul. And I was on one of them, but I don't think it was this one because this one was actually built within, I think the last 10 years. It's very new. So, I mean, it does make sense that it would be based on a real-life environment for the reasons you've stated, and um, we don't have a Turkish track in GT at all to this point, do we, in terms of the series' legacy? I can't think of one. No, we don't. Um, and we know that like some of the tracks that they've uh, given us, like, like Dragon Trails in Croatia, um, so yeah. you know, which there was never a Croatian track in Gran Turismo, so they're always looking for new new places, especially I feel like maybe new places outside of the typical like, you know, Western Europe and Japan or Western Europe and I guess more broadly Asia because they have had Korean tracks and Chinese tracks in the past. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm just hoping that whatever they do, uh, there's something interesting about it. It's not just, you know, basically lots of mountains and then they put a really really high-res jpeg of more mountains in the background because that's something that polyphony always likes to do that kind of gets old pretty quickly i mean i used to love the tracks that had these kind of great views and that type of thing but 
I feel as if it's almost um, limited what polyphony can do in terms of track design. I mean, when's the last time we had something as intricate as um, Deep Forest or Midfield, that type of thing? Dragon Trail's probably the closest. And we end up with things like Tokyo, Tokyo Expressway quite often now. Yeah. Yeah, they have a strange philosophy with track design now. But that said, I mean... Everyone I talk to, myself included, considers like Dragon Trail and Maggiore some of their best uh, best work. Oh, of course, Maggiore as well. Totally forgot about that. That's a great track. Yeah. So, you know, it comes and it goes. Uh, I, I think overall, and I know you've kind of moved on from GT Sport, but uh, somebody that we both uh, follow on Twitter, uh, Ali Sems, he was saying... Uh, like the the post-release content like the the way they keep doing this is unreal and honestly i have to agree with him like i mean it's not it's not unheard of but the fact that it's all free and the fact that they keep doing it and there's no end in sight that's pretty cool oh it's incredible yeah i mean like you're saying it i don't play it as much as i did but hearing that it keeps getting updates always makes me think about going back and all of this is free like you're saying it's pretty much unprecedented with other kind of um rivals in the genre specifically and it shows that polyphony is determined to make gt sport into a full package even though it was in the beginning i think i remember us talking about this before but in terms of polish and stuff nothing really comes close to gt sport and that and they've done a fantastic job at improving what was already there yeah in terms of polish nothing's nothing comes close and uh there's one game we'll talk about later it definitely could could have something to learn in the polish department but we'll leave that for the end of the news segment but yeah, that's basically about GT Sport. I mean, we will know in, you know, probably two weeks for sure what we're looking at here before the update comes out when it typically does. Uh, time extent has been on on a lengthened schedule, as you may have noticed. So who knows if we'll have a show up before then. But um, you can be sure that once it's out there and we, we do record our next show, we'll talk about it in more detail because I'm sure whatever they're planning is going to be something interesting. So that's GT Sport. Uh, also news on the Forza side of the river, um, as Turn 10 has done away with the specialty dealer in Forza Motorsport 7. Now, I never played Forza Motorsport 7. I played some of 6 when I briefly had an Xbox. So I didn't even know they were really doing this. Um, but honestly, it seems like kind of a cool... I don't know, kind of a cool little conceit. Like, basically, the game, from what I understand, they had, you know, the, the typical 700 cards or so that Forza has. And then, of that, there was, like, 100 that you could only get during certain times, and the, the dealership would refresh every Wednesday. Yeah, that that was it. And, it, I mean, as someone who played Forza Motorsport 7, I thought it was a cool feature to keep you coming back and seeing what was being updated in the dealership. But it always felt as if it was a bit of a a test almost from turn 10 because the cars they were putting on the dealership weren't that exciting really and obviously for co uh. collectors you would want to get those cars but you could see it was something they didn't want to commit to because it might have annoyed the community if you had some of the best cars in the game locked behind this weekly update model so it's good to see that they've just made all the cars available at the end instead of having this cycle go on forever because I'm sure if you missed a car that you really wanted, it would have been frustrating, especially if maybe over time you stopped playing the game as much and missed your chance to get it. So uh, I suppose this is the natural end to the speciality dealer, but 
at the same time, I'd like to see this feature come back because it was a good idea to give the, the game more of a, a live dynamic feel, which is something developers want to do with every game these days. Yeah, I like that they took the approach of doing this, trying this out. Some people liked it, and I'm sure some people really, really didn't like it. But in any case, they did it. And then they realized, like, we can always get rid of it. You know, I like that kind of dynamic approach of game development where the game has a life of its own after release and developers are willing to listen to that. So kudos to Turn 10 for for doing it. And then, you know, I think it's a good idea, but some people didn't. And then deciding like, oh, the game's been out for a long time now. Maybe it's time that we that we retire this. Although they say it will it will live on in some kind of expanded capacity or not expanded capacity, but in a, in a different way. They haven't really elaborated as to, as to what that means yet. Um, but you're right about the cars being rather underwhelming because I was looking, you know, every Forza has its under has its uh, unicorn cars, uh, if you will, and like, yeah, Forza's I think uh, Turn Ten has put together the best car roster of any racing game, probably in the last two generations with with the Forza franchise. But you know, the cars that are the unicorns in F in FM Seven, I can't remember what one of them was, but one of them is the BMW Z4 M Coupe, which is like. The most underwhelming sports car I can think of. <laughs> like you never hear anybody talking about that, so I don't know. Yeah, I think it, I think it's funny how they come to decide what these are. That that is pretty much it. They they kind of chose cars that you might be interested in, but probably don't care enough to be annoyed if you can't get them. Yep. And in that sense, like we said, it makes sense because you don't want to lock away the best content, mm-hmm. but at the same time, to make it worthwhile in the first place. It, they probably would have had to have committed more so now that it's ended a lot of people will probably be like what was the point in the first place then <laughs> but um, I think this speciality dealer stuff alongside the, the loot boxes that were such a controversy prior to release have proven that um, Term 10 maybe wanted to try and do things to shift up the motorsport series and didn't pan out because I don't believe for a second that the loot boxes were never supposed to be microtransacted at any point yeah I can understand at the start why they wouldn't do that to avoid the backlash, but I mean the framework was all there for them to monetize in some sense, and it doesn't look as if it panned out that way. And then the speciality dealer, um, just kind of fading away as well. Perhaps they didn't get the response they were looking for from players to those two ways of changing up the game. And on a side note, I think that's something that the motorsport series really needs to address soon because I think a bit of stagnation is starting to seep in. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, I felt that way about Forza for a very long time. It's why I kind of, you know, gave up on the series. Not not so much gave up as in I'll never come back and this is terrible, but more just kind of this, like, malaise of these games are all very good, but very good in the same way every two years, and there aren't many surprises. Um, you know, that's, that's something I felt back, dang, back to 360 days, well before Forza 5, and... It would be nice if they figured out some way around that, especially because Playground has almost, in a weird way, taken over the reins of the franchise. Like, Horizon has so much more universal appeal now, and the nature of Horizon is such that they can do so much, so many more interesting and different things with the game design that you wouldn't expect that Motorsport is starting to feel stagnant and is starting to feel like there's less to to be seen and to be found every two years now and uh i don't know i mean that's just my that's just my personal opinion 
the thing is, like, turn 10 are very good at what they do, but I don't see, I don't see a lot of innovation there. So hopefully they can, they can address that. <laughs> I mean, you've pretty much read my mind. I was just about to bring up that point about Playground and the Horizon series, because I think that'd be a really cool topic to maybe discuss in a future podcast, perhaps with a few guests who are proper into the Forza series, um, and ask, like, who is the real flag bearer now? Is it motorsport or is it Horizon? Because as far as I can see, even sales-wise, like Horizon is the leader at the moment, and it's only getting more popular by the looks of it. Like I seen, I seen actual buzz, tangible buzz for Horizon. Maybe not huge, but it was there. But I feel when Motorsport Seven was announced, there was more people ragging on the fact that Dan Grenewald was standing in front of the Porsche yeah. than actually caring what was on the screen, and. I mean, we're going to talk about the crew too later. We keep teasing this, but like, <laughs> I, I like the fact that that game actually incorporates real-world racetracks into its open world. And I, I don't know, maybe there's something there for the Forza series when it takes that next big jump to freshen things up. Can you imagine they sort of merged the two and managed to get that middle ground of having racetracks and the open world environment? I don't know if there's something there. It's just me spitballing here, but I do feel as if the motorsport series needs to find something to get people hyped again because when GT Sport was announced and they, they showed this new direction there was obviously backlash but I now I now think we're on the other side and GT Sport's established what it is. People are grateful that it did try and change up the formula but we know fine well we'll revert back to that single player based model soon right. for the next mainline entry but I still think Polyphony of all people with the huge development cycles they have to have committed to sport is very credible. And I think turn 10 need to start thinking, what can we do to keep motorsport fresh, similar to what Polyphony did with sport? And whatever they decide to do, you're not going to get there via figuring out a new way of doing microtransactions. Like, that's not going to be, oh, yeah. not gonna be exactly. enough to shake up. It's not, it's not <laughs> something, obviously, that um, especially the sim racer crowd really looks, looks forward to. I mean, no, no fan base does, but, you know, again... We'll talk about the crew too, and the issues I have with that game's loot boxes, uh, which are aren't even I don't even have anything to do with the microtransaction aspect of it. But um, yeah, it's 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 a challenge that I hope Turn Ten rises to, but uh, we'll only we'll only know with time. Uh, in until that happens, though, you know this is a, a decision. A specialty dealer uh, is, a, is a decision that's probably a good one for right now. You hinted on why I think the special speciality dealer maybe didn't work out as well as it could have as well because the problem is these days with racing games, people seem to get annoyed when there's game inside their game. Yep. If that makes sense. So like the unicorn cars are a feature I've always thought was really cool in uh, Forza and I loved finding like the stealth black versions of the race cars in Gran Turismo 4. But like you look online and there are people that get genuinely annoyed that they have to go out their way to get certain cars. And, like, I feel as if, unless it's something like a set old Corsa, where you've got this, like, hardcore sim, and you want all the content, I think these games do need to have game-like elements yeah. inside them, so... Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't mean, agree how more. How do you get over that hump? Yeah, no, no, I, I couldn't agree more, because it's like, I'm sorry, but this is a game. Like, as much yeah. as people want to think, like, this is, this is a simulator that exists for me, that, you know, should be able to be like I should be able to play this any way I want to it is still a video game and I'm not saying that there shouldn't be experiences like that 
Like, you look at iRacing, you look at Assetto Corsa, really you look at almost any hardcore sim on the PC and they work that way, but people want that from, like, Forza and Gran Turismo, and it's like, you know, that that's like going to an Italian restaurant and asking for, like, I don't know, like, Spanish food. Like, you don't, you, like, <laughs> you have to know what you're looking at and, and you have to ask for something that was within that wheelhouse. Like, Forza and Gran Turismo are not the kind of games that are going to give you the should, frankly, give you the everything is unlocked from the beginning experience that you want that's just a soulless, basically, you know, vessel for you to have all of your, you know, put your car and track combinations together however you want. It's not about that. It, it's a game. Like, those are those are games. And they're honestly some of the last games we have, so maybe we can let them be them and then all the other stuff that you want, you know, the everything that you you hate about those games because they lock content and stuff like that maybe we can have other experiences that that follow that path but but leave forza and gran turismo alone because um they're kind of the last bastions of that era of of racing games so exactly and like i think people wanted the game like elements to shift towards the driver journey as project cars used as its buzzwords but I think what we're learning is that capturing that element is a lot tougher than most think. So when you actually remove the game-like element of unlocking cars and progression uh, through um, the different motorsport series, there isn't much there to keep you enticed. And that was always the problem with Project Cars. It tried to tap into that driver journey aspect, but it just comes off like a set of Corsa and other games that don't even pretend to have that pretense. Yeah, it ultimately just ends up being a bunch of menus, which... Yeah, you know, then then it feels kind of unnecessary. But wow, we could we could talk forever about this, but we should probably <laughs> move on. Um, but very yeah. interesting discussion nonetheless. So yeah, we've uh, been alluding to the fact that the crew two is a thing that exists, and um, I've played it, and I wrote a little bit about the reasons why you should, why you should, and shouldn't play it for Tom's guide, which is a, a very a very forward article where I just basically say in the intro, like I'm conflicted and you should be too. And here's why it's definitely not like a go buy this game or like, don't buy this game. It's just so, uh, it's just a, a maddening experience because of the cool things that it does, but also the things that it, uh, completely just falls on its face about, which honestly are not very different from the problems that the original crew had. It's just a really messy game. And if you've seen anything about it, you know, you, you kind of know what you're looking at here. <laughs> what is it about the game that just makes you so lukewarm on it? Because, I mean, I played the original and I didn't think it had anything going for it. And judging on the reviews and stuff, it seems like I'm still very much in that ball. I would still be very much in that ballpark if I was to give two a go. Is, is that the case? Yeah, which is weird because I know that the crew kind of blossomed into a game people liked by the end of its, uh, you know, post-release cycle and the Wild Run update and all of that. But this, you know, almost in like a way that I've seen people talk about like Destiny 2, it's almost like starting from the beginning again. It's like everything that, that may have been learned or passed along from the first game is gone. And uh, it's almost like they remade the first one, but in 2018, like... There, there are definitely differences, like, the first one had that stupid story as every, you know, open world street racing game is wont to do. This one, this one doesn't have a story, 
for the most part, at least like a linear story, but you still have to sit through about like 10 minutes of exposition before you start the game about why you're doing everything you're doing. So in a way, like, although you're not constantly being like kept up to date on the story, there is still a story there and it's just as annoying because now instead of like trying to get revenge or whatever on your family, uh, your <laughs> or for your family, you are <laughs> you are participating in basically a TV show that is also on social media because I, I don't know because millennials and uh, you know you have to win the most races to get the most fans and there's this really annoying, extremely annoying like television personality who's like the presenter through the whole thing and everyone has stupid names and everyone looks dumb and like. This guy reminds me actually of I don't like I don't know about his voice so much because I don't I never played this game but you remember looking at the mascot for like the Buzz trivia games on the PS3 yeah that's how I imagine this guy looks like really annoying hair um like really thick glasses just like an absolutely just insufferable human being um and it's just it's one of those like kind of conceits it just it just gets everything wrong about like the people that are expected to play this game, what they're looking for, what excites people now, what, you know, quote unquote millennials are looking for. It's just, it's, it's complete bullshit, honestly. (laughs) And, and, you know, everything you do in the game, it's really not for personal glory or success. It's for uh, followers. So, um, you know, when you do, when you, when you do a sick drift, you get followers and the more (laughs) followers you get, you know, the more, but you never really lose followers. That's the thing. So I, I think I read the Polygon uh, review of it was was great because um, I can't remember the the person who wrote it, but they were just saying like, yeah, it's not like if you like completely just like wreck and look like a fool, like you lose followers. It's it's all about gaming them. So or if you have like an affair and it's it starts a press scandal, you don't lose followers. Right, for that right. Either. I mean, you know, that'd be good. <laughs> or or maybe if like uh, for example, you were like. You know, you you did this thing that a lot of people thought were cute was cute on an airplane, and then like a week later, everyone hates you for it. <laughs> you know, you don't get you don't get a milkshake ducked in this game if that's what you're asking. Um, you know, which you know, I, actually that's a great idea. This game really should have done a better job of reflecting internet culture. Like basically, everything yeah. that you do is beloved for about a day before everyone turns their back on you and you become essentially the villain of the month that'd be pretty good or like um you're like oh i'm gonna do a triple backflip and then you don't know the day before somebody else did it so everyone just comments under the video like oh you copycat this has already been done this isn't exciting and then you lose all your followers and stuff i mean absolutely (laughs) it sounds a lot more exciting than the actual game (laughs) I think we really stumbled across something. I think Ubisoft should hire us. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's all my surface level, you know, whining and, and moaning about the game as far as its presentation is concerned. This is a Ubisoft game, which unfortunately means it's pretty janky in how long the menus take to load, in gameplay, in almost every aspect. Somebody uh, somebody said also, I think it was the same review I was talking about earlier, that reminded them of Steep, and I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that. It is, um, which I know you oh, like wow. Steep, Brendan. I never even thought of that, actually. Never figured yeah. that it makes total sense. It, it does make total sense, because what it is, is it has this massive scope, but yeah. everything still feels broken. Yeah. And for some people, 
for some people the scope will be enough to get over that like the amount of articles i've seen that where the headline goes the crew 2 is a terrible game but i love it anyway like at <laughs> least four reviews from major publications on the, on the internet have that title um i am not one of them i think it's a terrible game and and I don't want to play it <laughs> because it's a terrible game. I mean, it's not a terrible game, but it, it, it's terrible in a way that bothers me. Other people will, you know, maybe enjoy it. But for me, I mean, once we get past all that surface level stuff, the handling is awful. And and I am unfortunately part of the old school of, uh, I guess, you know, I'm an old fart now. And I'm part of the old guard of uh, racing games fans where uh, if the handling is bad, what, what reason do I have to, to yeah. play it? You know, and that's kind of the issue I have here is um, you know I obviously spent most of my time driving the cars because I know you know there's planes and there's bikes and stuff but really uh, what I'm first and foremost concerned about are the cars and uh, yeah it's just <laughs> the the thing I tweeted about it which I feel like is still the best way to describe it is the cars drive like they do in like Uncharted when you get to the one oh, driving no. level <laughs> oh, <laughs> but it's the God. whole game because it's the crew so so in terms of the gameplay then there was a question I wanted to ask so you can change in real time between the planes the boats and the cars that's right isn't it yes you can and so there there are a couple events no it's fine you can uh, continue asking your question but just real quick there are a couple of events that um, really put this to the forefront where you're doing it like because most of the events don't work that way only like the longer form ones but there aren't a ton of them so it's something that you can very easily forget you can do in the game. Right, so it doesn't take full advantage of the fact you can transform, because that's where I was going based on like Sonic Transforms Racing, where of course you're changing between boats, flight and carts during the race. Is there anything like that in the crew? Are you saying there's like a few events like that, but it doesn't really tap into it? Yeah, yeah, there are a few events, but it doesn't really tap into it. Um, they also don't really like... Like, so when you start the game, you're doing this event as you do in many racing games, you know, they throw you into something and uh, it is one of those, like, I call it like a triathlon event because you start out uh, in a car and then you're in the, in the boat and then you're in the sky. Um, and even though they're having you do this when the game starts, they're so concerned with explaining, like, you know, the... I think it's called Extreme TV. Like that's what this channel is. It's extreme with an X, but then no E at the end of it, which is even like doubly stupid. Um, so they're they're so concerned with telling you, you know, that you're on the TV that they don't really explain that. Like, no, this is something that can happen in this game. This is something that, like, you know, you know, explain it even in sort of an expositional way. This is something that's really exciting that the crew two offers. Like, so you're not reminded that you can do this. You're not ever told that like this is something you can do again in the future. Like, it's just it, that that could have been something where the game really differentiated itself, but instead it kind of got dropped. Yeah, yeah. It's it's unfortunate because honestly, when you're doing that first event and uh, and you're changing the the type of vehicle you're driving it's very interesting because when you start out in the car i think next you go to a boat and you transport into this boat and when you do it they do this really trippy thing with the world design where like it's hard to explain but basically like they put you in this boat and now you're in the river and i think you're in like the hudson river or something i think you're near manhattan or something and like the 
the horizon line of the map curves upward, almost oh. like you're in a tube. Right. It's like they do it in such a way as like you're moving from car to boat. And it looks really, really interesting. And then they do it again when you're going into the sky. And, like, I know it's just for show. But, like, it is honestly very trippy. Like, when it happens, like, whoa, that's actually really cool. And then and then eventually the map unrolls itself and, cut and becomes flat again. Becomes boring. You know, that was a nice touch. <laughs> becomes boring again, yeah. So that's that's the other thing that really needs to be touched on about the crew. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, like, oh, the, the scope of this. It's, you know, the entire U.S., which... I appreciate. I mean, I I said in the in the article I wrote um, that I think one of the things that any American will do when they start playing the game is immediately drive to their hometown or where their hometown would be if the game got you know had every aspect of America, but it's really obviously you know shrunken down as it needs to be. Um, I did, and I drove to New Jersey, where weirdly they had the city of Bayonne. Which uh, to to explain to to you, Brendan, and other people who don't live on the East Coast, it is not a city that would ever belong in in any game. Right, right. Ever deserves space on the map. You know, it's like I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure you have your local example, oh, of course. but like, <laughs> but it's like not like why of all the places. I mean, Jersey isn't a very noble state. It gets ragged on in in the U.S. because it's kind of like regarded as like. The armpit of the country, I think, is one article famously put it. <laughs> but like, you have Bayonne and Jersey City; it's just very weird. But anyway, I drove there, and then you know, drove around and just kind of wandered aimlessly, and just you know, completely ignored the obligations that I had on the map. And it just, you know, it's big, but there's nothing there. And I always get the sense that like Ubisoft doesn't understand it it's that weird slightly unsettling world of this was designed by french people honestly who (laughs) want who have a love for americana maybe who want to capture it but but can't because there are parts of this world especially highways because when you're in between major city centers and areas there are just these long highways that go on forever, which is, I mean, not terribly different from actual America, except for the fact that these highways look exactly like the highways in Test Drive Unlimited. Oh. Right. Um, which, you know, similar development background. So, yeah. I don't know. As, yeah. as I'm playing the game, I'm just like, these are not how American highways look. Like, these look like... It reminded me of when I, uh, I took a trip for work to Barcelona back in February, and... Um, as I was on the highways there, I noticed, like, yeah, you know, there's not here, like, maybe in Europe, maybe just more specifically in Spain, like, there's not a very big shoulder, like, obviously there's a lot, in America, you know, space doesn't come as much of a premium, so we can take up massive space with our roads and whatnot, you know, but much like in Barcelona, uh, in in the crew too, it's like you have these like tiny highways with really small shoulders, and then you have like trees right on the edge of the highway. I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> like, this is not, this is not America. Um, it, it reminds me of like any depiction of San Francisco where it's gotta have the rolling hills, oh, and then look, the rest of the, the city doesn't look anything like San Francisco. Yeah, basically the the opening <laughs> the opening level of Sonic Adventure Two. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's any depiction of San Fran has those hills, and then it's like, wait, what does the rest of the place look like? Ah, who cares? People don't know. 
<laughs> it's this odd, lifeless, bastardized version of America through the lens of people who, who want to understand it but don't. I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. And when you get to New York, because New York... And, and here's a situation where it's like, okay, I, I won't bother them too much for getting, you know, freaking Bayonne wrong, because who gives a shit? But, like, you know, Manhattan, downtown Manhattan, Times Square, um, that's all, you know... A main focus of the game it's one of the main areas like they point out on their website they point out in the game it's like you got you got your san francisco and you got the south with the bayou and everything and then you got like in the east coast where where you want to be is new york city so i went there and it's like they made half of Times square which is so weird because Times square is like this kind of like it crosses over you know it's kind of like an x but like a really shallow one uh, you know, when you see pictures of it, you can kind of see like the, the, uh, the corners of like the big, the huge billboards and everything. And now they're screens, obviously, but just like facing each other, you only get yeah. half of that in the crew too. And it's really jarring. Cause again, it's just like you wanted to get certain parts of this map, right. But even like the most important ones you got wrong and it's, it's extremely jarring. And on top of that, these are again, very, very lifeless environments. There's like, Maybe, you know, there are actually like people, kind of pedestrians roaming the streets and everything, a decent amount, but there's no traffic ever. Like, it's, it's really strange. It feels like a ghost world. And again, owing to the fact that everything's eerie and not quite right to, to be America, it feels even more... Like so it's like uncanny valley if it could be a map essentially that's what it kind of sounds like when it's trying to yeah. something that exists but it gets the core fundamentals wrong and i'm not surprised if that's the case yeah it's really strange um and the thing i will go out on uh in explaining the weirdness of the map is that andy kelly of pc gamer contributed i think the best article about the crew and and honestly like read reviews read my piece if you want but this really is the best one because all he did was he just ventured around the map and just took pictures of the storefront signs oh i've seen this yeah (laughs) because it seems that uh ivory tower have used some kind of like you know procedurally generated or you know ai or something to generate uh, store signs for just stores in the world not places you'll visit but just like scenery as you drive by and i mean they're they're god awful like you get uh you get a lot of combinations of the words chicken grilled and coffee for any restaurant um th- there's a store that advertises pizza pizza grilled pizza um coffee grilled pizza I don't know what that is. This uh, French cuisine restaurant that has uh, ravi- ravioli, fettuccine, and tortellini <laughs> on the door. Uh, one of my favorites is the one that it's actually a normal-looking restaurant, and they got that aspect of it right, except for some reason there is a, a concrete barrier for about six feet off the ground, and there are no oh. stairs, so it's completely inaccessible to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, <laughs> that's an ambitious yeah. strategy. <laughs> there's this one store that's just called Circular Dots, and there's this <laughs> other store that uh, is a combination uh, airline travel agency, breakfast mechanic, spa, pharmacy, wow. hotel, fur- and furniture repair shop, and laundromat, all all in the same same location. That guy's living in 2042. 
<laughs> yeah. He knows what the store needs to have. He's doing it all. Uh, and then the mo the motel slash apartment rental place, um, which is open seven days a week, which as the article reads, <laughs> you know, it's open seven days a week, which you'd hope somewhere you live would be. <laughs> <laughs> Offering rooms for 3B, 3B, 9B a night. Great price. Oh, is that all? Perfect. That's exactly what I've got in my wallet right now. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it's a mess, and I'm sure some aspect of it will improve just as it did with the first game, but uh, it's honestly, I know I know some people, they, they're not phased by stuff like this. They actually yeah. take it as a as a challenge to find all the weird stuff in the world and, and pull off these crazy glitches. Like, uh, Ubisoft actually posted, like, a brief, like, social media ad for the game. It's, you know, it's just, like, a five-second no sound, but, like... It's basically somebody driving a helicopter perpendicular to, or yeah, perpendicular to the road into a car. So, so the helicopter is moving sideways. Basically, the the rotors are perpendicular to the ground, and in into a vehicle on the ground. And then, like the quote that appears on the screen is like, "This is the most amazing, or like this is absolutely amazing, or this is the most amazing game I've ever played." Uh, my friend discovered this and sent it to me. He's like. So they're they're advertising the game based on the strength of its glitches, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, it basically is like the the G mod of racing games right now. <laughs> that they're charging a potential eighty pounds for if you get oh, the gold yeah. edition. If you get the gold edition, so that's crew too. Yep, it sounds like it suffers from the the diagnosis we made a few podcasts ago about games afraid to actually commit to the kind of atmosphere they want it just sounds like that they come up with the cool um concept of being able to change on the go they even um seemed to demo it to you with that cool horizon effect and then it was like nah we'll just make another open world game that's completely empty that'll be much more fun with social media so yeah oh yeah you can get those followers man it's all about those followers it worked so well when um codemasters went down that route with dirt free it was like, why don't you upload that clip to YouTube, man? Oh, yeah, kind of stuff. So it's good to see we've come full circle and now we're obsessed with getting followers and stuff again because I don't know about you, but the one thing I want from my racing games, especially arcade racing games that could be unique, is to get followers on Twitter. Yeah, it's to remind me everything I hate about my current adult life right now <laughs> and, and not put me back in like a, a blissful childhood state of just all that matters is that I get this one corner at seaside street galaxy correctly uh, yeah so anyway uh we'll move on to the uh, real quick to uh, the last news item uh which uh, brendan you brought up about onrush and that it recently had a free weekend which i completely missed yeah so um codemasters announced this earlier this week and it happened now basically um if the beta didn't give you your fill and you didn't buy the full game, and I imagine there's a lot of you out there, <laughs> um, you can now try the free weekend, which includes the full version of the game that had many improvements over the beta, to be honest. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up is I think it's good for people on the fence getting to try the game, but I think it's bad for Onrush because we're just under a month from release and we're already getting these free weekends rolling out and um, that can't be a good sign. Yeah, it's something that we talked about in our last show uh, that we were kind of worried about. <clears throat> now, in a weird way, 
it's not a good sign, but I also feel like it was inevitable. And not yeah. inevitable in like, oh, this game was inevitably going to fail, but like people don't understand what it is. And you don't understand what it is even for the first probably two hours that you're playing it. So, <laughs> no, no. one, I'm not surprised this happened, but two, I feel like this needed to happen. I almost feel like it not should have happened earlier because you want to get your sales from like people who know what it is and are going to go out and buy it immediately. But like almost, I feel like they should have been more like honest with themselves and transparent about like no we'll have a weekend or something at some point after release and not treat it like it was kind of a as as we're kind of referring to it like a thing that they had to do that they didn't want to do but yeah. that they needed to do to explain to people what this game was i mean especially because the beta as we were talking about before really didn't do the game justice and now that i've gotten the chance to play the final product and i bought it um i love it you know, I think it's a, I think it's a lot of fun, and it does yeah. remind me of my favorite combat racers of the past, you know, ten, fifteen years or so. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited for people to to try the game out, uh, and hopefully, it gets more people on board because it really is, you know, a unique experience. It's one of a kind. And there's nothing like it. Exactly, and um, just as another side point, the game is also forty percent off for PlayStation Plus subscribers hmm. um, this week and maybe next as well so if you do like it um, and you w really want to pick it up and give the money straight to the developers then um, there's there's a great reduction on the game and um, I'm glad you ended up liking it Adam because I did have a feeling once you got a grasp on it would be a good game and I say that to everyone it's a great arcade driving game that does something that a lot that you, you, well sorry does something you can't find anywhere else really um, the guides are supporting the game pretty heavily still. We got a version 2.0 update the other week that added a lot of new cosmetics and improved photo mode because, of course, Evolution are obsessed with making their games look absolutely Every amazing. Every game's got to have a photo <laughs> mode now. I mean, I, you know, I won't rag on Evolution for it because they did it before yeah, many, yeah. many people did. But I think probably even, like, Motorstorm have photo mode or something like that. But, uh, yeah, every game's got to have a photo mode now. Yeah, the latest God of War had a photo mode added, or it's still waiting for the update, and it's like, who cares? I mean, maybe I'm <laughs> the minority, right? But, like, the Uncharted series is something that I really enjoy. Hmm. But, like, in 4, they really turned up the up-their-own-ass effect. So, like, yeah. every single time you would come to a vista, the camera would start auto-panning and stuff. And it's weird. I, I, I like moments of beauty in games that aren't kind of pushed in your face. So, see when the game goes out its way to show, look how good this looks... I always find that a bit less impressive, and I think that's why racing game photo modes are so good, because there might be a certain part of a track that you don't really pay attention to, but then somebody uploads a photo online and you go, damn, they put a lot of effort into that. So, um, yeah, I think I can see why racing games need, well, need to have a photo mode these days anyway, but it's interesting how every single genre now is like, ah, oh, cool, I put a photo mode in a sports game, why not? Yeah, well, the worst part is when it's like, you know, because every game has to have a photo mode. It's almost like they're being really like um, self-congratulatory yeah. about their about their <laughs> own like you know design capabilities about the way they built this world and their the graphical prowess of the world and all that stuff. But it's like some games will have it, and they're just they they look piss poor. Like <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but the crew two is one of them. <laughs> like you'll see, you'll see people like really good photographers on Twitter and stuff. Um, a guy I follow. Uh, Torque 99 he does uh, fantastic photography and he did with crew 2 and it's like but he also posts like you know Forza 
7 and Forza Horizon photos and GT yeah. Sport photos and it's like you look at this Crew 2 photo and it's like damn like why even bother man like even <laughs> even like the best photographers in the world can't make this game look good I'll stop think about Crew 2 yeah exactly the weird thing about the crew too though is like i've seen some photos that show the reflections and the like puddle effects that look incredible and mm. but the rest of the game just looks so like plasticky and um yeah not real at all that i feel bad for the guys who really do put a lot of effort into creating photos because there's just some games that are unsavable the cars look the cars look good. Aspects of the game do look good. Certain vistas do, but I think it's it's again the issue of like those cities where you're just seeing yeah. just concrete jungle that doesn't Ugh. look nice at all. But uh, anyway, about Onrush, yeah, uh, for forty percent off, you should buy it. If if you're listening to the show, you have time extends. Uh, it's not really a recommendation. It's more of a of a command that you should go buy the game for that price. Yeah, we've seen it before. If you want to see these type of games continue to exist, you do need to support them as well, assuming you like it, of course. Um, I mean, the, the two this year that are probably fit into this category is Onrush and the Trailblazers, which is something we might be able to discuss another time, but that's basically ex-Bizarre um, Creation staff making a new kind of um, arcade racing game, so... That looks pretty cool as well. I'd say those two games this year are probably the most um, adventurous as far as the racing genre is concerned. And um, if we want to see more stuff like this and get that shock sequel that I am pushing for, (laughs) um, (laughs) we need to start supporting these types of games as racing fans. Oh, I'm sure the shock sequel is definitely still in the. It's a lock. It's in the the (laughs) in-progress pile. They just need that one little push to get over the edge. Um... Yeah, you're not allowed to complain if, uh, you know, in a year's time or in two years' time, you really wish somebody made some kind of, you know, light, more, you know, uh, carefree and fun, this lighter racing game or arcade racing game or something like that, and you're like, where is it? Why won't anyone make it? Like, here's your chance. You know, you got you got to put your money where your mouth is, so please uh, support stuff like this, because otherwise, I don't want to hear you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. I mean, even talking about the price points here there was people complaining about onrush's price point and they probably had the crew gold edition pre-ordered for 80 pounds you've got (laughs) you've got to think about it logically here i mean these types of games cost a lot to make especially with evolution behind it like the, the amount of technology in this game and just as a brief point, that's kind of goes against the whole um, congr- self-congratulatory sense because Onrush looks amazing, but you wouldn't guess that when you first play it. It just kind of looks like a standard off-road game, but the more you play it, and then when those unreal weather effects kick in, it's like, wow, there's been yeah. a lot of effort put into this. So don't come out the gate and say, oh, this type of game doesn't deserve X amount of money until you've actually played it and seen what it can do. Because Onrush, kind of, it's like a... It's like a ball of wool almost, kind of unravels itself, and mm-hmm. then by the end you're like, holy crap, they put so much effort into this. Yeah, and it's it's an unexpectedly beautiful experience because you normally, you know, games are very multiplayer focused, I feel like, never go out of their way to really look great, or even yeah. like, you know, they'll play well enough for the, for the gameplay to be fair, but they won't, they, you know, necessarily like the animations and the and the, just the way that the game moves, maybe the developer won't put as much effort into it because it matters more that everyone's kind of on the same page and the more fluff you add, the more it 
might cause the you know the servers to struggle or whatever and uh so i don't know i my expectation with the multiplayer first game is that uh they they don't really put that attention into it yeah. because their their efforts are focused otherwhere uh in other places but like with onrush it's surprisingly like it's an amazing looking game and it's you would expect from a, a studio that used to be a sony first party studio but uh, yeah, I I was blown away by the game the first time I played it. I know you were talking about it, and you were saying like it really wasn't uh, technologically like a tour of the force. And I was like, I, I can't imagine how. But then once I started playing the game, I I very quickly realized that for myself. So, and it's at sixty frames as well. Something easy to forget. Yes, but like the the frame rate is incredibly smooth, even with a lot of stuff going on on the screen. So yeah, in some it, ways it feels more, more ambitious than Drive Club in that sense that how much is happening in the one time and they've still managed to get 60 FPS out of it. It it never slows down and I have um I have a PS4 Pro and the right. interesting thing is I only have a 1080p TV so um but I have it on super sampling so the game essentially thinks it's running on a 4K TV. Yeah. And um you can set it to prioritize detail or frame rate. <laughs> it's the only game i've played outside of the last of us remastered where if you if you have a prioritized frame rate 60 frames if you have a prioritized detail it's yeah. 30 frames and like honestly once the game defaults to 60 to 60 fps mode if you try and play in 30 frames it's like <laughs> it's drunk goggles you can't do it and it's so weird like thinking like oh if i try if i played this game at 30 when i started i probably could still play it that way but having played it at 60 you can't and honestly the difference in detail i don't notice anything like i don't notice any sort of lack of graphical detail from being in 60 rather than 30 so um definitely play the game that way that was another thing as well the beta actually defaulted to 30 which was a terrible decision in hindsight because the first impressions of the game have that bit of jank, but you could change it to 60 from within the menus in the beta, mm. and that just like blew me away, and that's when I knew I needed to have the game as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't, we basically gave a glowing recommendation here. If you're on the fence, give it a go. Um, this is a game that will fry through word of mouth, so uh, you, you have our word of mouth saying it's a good game if you decide to purchase it you have to tell others that it's good as well because um, this type of game won't stand the chance marketing-wise against your more kind of um, traditional offerings like The Crew and then just in general the multiplayer space. It's a very, very intense environment between like Rocket League and mm-hmm. Fortnite, all those types of things. Um, Fornrush wants to survive and push forward. Even this game, not as a series, just this game alone then the people who play it need to give it good word of mouth if they really enjoy it. Couldn't have put it better myself. So, I could continue, you know, we could continue just going on and on about why you should buy Onrush, but um, I'm sure we'll do it next week too, and the week after that, and the week after that. So, yeah. we're going to go uh, full steam ahead into the featured topic, where we'll talk about another Dreamcast racing game.
And welcome back. And this week we're doing another entry in our series Sega Racing System where we talk about a different Dreamcast racing game. And last week we talked about Sega Rally 2, or last week, last month we talked about Sega Rally 2, um, which is a very polarizing title, obviously. Though it's it's grown, I think, on both of us since we really uh, came to grips with it. Uh, this game, <laughs> this is Sega GT, and this is not... This is not a polarizing game at all. I think we both agree it's shit. <laughs> oh, it's really bad. I'd rather talk about the merits of who wants to be a millionaire on Dreamcast than Sega oh GT. My <laughs> oh my god. I remember you were, um, you know, you bought it and either right before you got it or after, you were like, is it really that bad? And I'm like, yeah, yeah you, you don't think it could be that bad. Like, you, you honestly try to rationalize in your head you're like this is a racing game produced by sega in one of the company's golden eras how could this be bad and yeah they found a way, it, they found a way <laughs> and it's so infuriating because you know this was their big attempt to go up against uh gran turismo back when gran turismo was the best-selling game on the original playstation so yeah. you know anyone who says like oh racing games are like you know they're for really boring people or whatever like there was a time where all of you bought Gran Turismo or at least all of you if you were around 20 years ago would have had that game every single yeah. person on the PlayStation and Sega was right to be like hey we should make our own the problem is they put a team that had no <sighs> racing game experience yeah. whatsoever on it and it just ended up being a complete and other just just pile of garbage um but yeah, so I'll just uh, quickly rattle off some of the, the details about the game. So Sega GT released in February of 2000 in Japan, August of 2000 in the US, and December of 2000 in Europe. Uh, it had a PC release in early 2001. And the thing to um, remember here is that the Dreamcast did not survive much long after <laughs> the game came out because the Dreamcast essentially had basically like a year and a half of of a life like it, it came out in september of 99 in the u.s and by march of 2001 it was done i think they announced i think they announced that it was going to be discontinued in january of 2001 so essentially this game comes out if you're in europe in december and two months later the system is discontinued <laughs> um and really like it, it makes sense if you're actually playing the game and you're experiencing what this is uh, in real time because probably you might have been upset that, that uh, Sega was exiting the console business, but then you probably also played Sega GT and thought to yourself, well, if this is the best they have, then then maybe they should. <laughs> <laughs> Sega GT killed the Dreamcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it didn't, but like for, for us, it did. Um, yeah. and, and the studio that uh, developed it is WoW Entertainment, which... Um, I'm going to quickly figure out what they did because it wasn't other racing games. Um, yeah, so WoW Entertainment's con contributions to the world were, outside of Sega GT, were Sega Tetris, Sega Marine Fishing, Alien Front Online, World Series Baseball 2K1, which <clears throat> interestingly is considered like the worst baseball game of all time. <laughs> um it, it was terrible. It actually, like, uh, it didn't give you the ability to control the outfielders, which basically meant what? that 
th- that you couldn't play defense in the game. You could only hit the ball and pitch, and that was it. Wow. So yeah, Wow Entertainment was um, definitely the weak link of, uh, unfortunately, of Sega's first party, um, or rather second party companies and developers, which is really unfortunate. And I mean, also not, you know, to be the weakest link, like you had the best studios in the world. Sega had the best studios in the world this time. So it, you know, there had to be, there had to be one that wasn't up to the level of the others, but unfortunately, yeah. WoW Entertainment was kind of a, a ways down and they gave us Sega GT. <sighs> so seeing as uh as how you first played the game you played the game for the first time within the last couple weeks uh i i think in these discussions i like you to give your initial impressions first off to kind of direct where we go here yeah that, that sounds good to me so um i will say i didn't think it could be as bad as you said like we talked about the fact that we were getting a gran turismo clone on dreamcast seemed like it was infallible Especially when you consider, like, we really had to dig deep to come up with faults about Sega Rally 2 and kind of rationalise that. So I thought this might have been the same type of thing where we're almost, um, we're almost putting our shield up about what could be bad about Sega games. <laughs> so, yeah. um, when I turned it on at first, I drove the kind of lower-powered cars in the game, like the hatchbacks and stuff. I was a bit miffed with how weightless it felt, but I didn't think much of it at that point. I was like, this mm-hmm. is drivable. It's not great yeah. fun, but it's drivable. Yeah. And then... Oh, and then... <laughs> <laughs> you drive anything with more than like 70 horsepower and the game oh, just yeah. loses its shit completely. Um, yeah. That um, speedboat effect, the left-right, left-right slalom mm-hmm. down straights becomes the norm. Um, yep. The weird collision, the collision engine with walls, where sometimes you hit it, you just kind of bounce off, and yep. then other times your car will just spin for no reason, seemingly. Oh yeah. And uh, all combined with track design, that's like, what if we did granted as well, but with no creativity whatsoever? Yeah. Um. Every single thing about the game is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> the only, <laughs> that, that the only thing. Up. The only thing that isn't is a car builder, but before we get into that, just talk about the basics that you touched upon. Um, yeah, the physics are maddeningly awful, and and it amazes me when you go back and read reviews about this game, and it, it got like sevens and eights, and I'm like, what? <laughs> what the hell? Like, I know our standards may have been lower back then, but come on. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were reviews that said, like, this is almost as good as Gran Turismo, which is... I mean, just could so not wrong. be further from the truth. Like, when you start the game, you do drive these K cars, and yeah. if it's a front-wheel drive K car, it'll handle well enough. But once you get above 70 horsepower, which is over... I mean, how many... What percentage of cars in the game is 70 horsepower? Probably, like, 10 or 15 yeah, at most. Yeah, that pushing. <laughs> yeah. And then once you get past that, um, front-wheel drive cars, like, you know, high-performance front-wheel drive cars, like an Integra Type R or something like that, or Civic, it's like, all right, like... This understeer is like a dog, but, you know, and it makes a lot of noise and goes nowhere, but it's not uncontrollable. It just, there's not much to do. And then, weirdly, rear-wheel drive cars and all-wheel drive cars handle exactly the same in that there's absolutely no control there whatsoever. There is never any grip. I mean, like, when you're just kind of, going along on like you know not necessarily not nece- not essentially like going around the corner but just like steering 
as lightly as you can on the straightaway or something like that. Um, you have some grip, but then the car will start to bounce and it'll get skittish and it'll move around in a way you don't really expect. And then you might hit a wall and then you'll bounce off the wall. And all of a sudden now you're just like left, right, left, right, left. Yeah, you exactly. can't get it to go straight. And then you're thinking like, okay, well, the car is like really light. It kind of, you know, I can... I can't necessarily get get to where I want it to go, but like I can move it. So then you turn into you apply braking and turn to a corner. But when you do that, you have absolutely no front end grip. The car nope. does not bite until you're halfway through the corner, where suddenly it's an oversteer situation. Now completely flips around. You spin out, and the engine noises in this game are probably average for the time. But when yeah. you spin out and you just hear the rev, like. It, it just makes you want to break the controller. It makes you want to kill yourself. There, the there's nothing from the gameplay that will make you want to keep coming back and playing the game. And that's no. the biggest fault here. Because this is from <sighs> the house of Sega, where we've got games like Sega Rally 2 that so many years after release, even for that game having slightly weightless handle, you'll still always go back and try and work out what you need to do to finish first. But in this game, it was a case of what do I have to do to take my finger and turn the console off? That was the extent of the gameplay. Because even if I somehow came first, going left, right, left, right for the entire race, there was no skill involved. I had no inclination to um, better my times on the tracks, which is something I'll talk about in a minute in regards to the gameplay options. Mm. And just in general, there, there is nothing forgivable here. And the fact that the slower cars are passable is not a plus point. It's pretty no. much saying, like, oh, there is some form of tangible gameplay included in this package, but it's still not worth your time. It is absolutely unplayable. Like, there's no way around it. I don't know how you could give this game anything more than, like, on a 10-point scale, anything more than, like, a, a 5 or a 4, based on how undrivable these cars are. And it's a shame, because there are some really interesting cars in the game. It doesn't have a massive roster, but, like... Yeah. I remember um, on the on the U.S. cover, which is, in my opinion, one of the worst game covers ever made, which it, it has a Dodge Viper GTSR concept, which when I was a kid was one of my favorite cars, in front of this like weird Photoshop green background. And uh, I saw that car, and I was like, oh, that's, that's awesome. I want to drive it. But, I mean, any car with any sense of power, and, I mean, that's probably the most powerful car in the game, stock, you can't drive it. There, there are some interesting, like, Super GT cars in there completely just undrivable completely not even worth your time and then if you had the european version um uh, as you do brendan you got alfa romeos i think and renault's yeah, and uh yeah. and some european cars which are also i'm sure very cool but equally undrivable <laughs> exactly and even put a renault clio on the front because if there's any car in that roster that gets the blood pumping it's uh tiny hatchback well well to be <laughs> fair it is the the renault sport 16 true, valve true. Or, uh, that was yeah, a fun 24. driving gran turismo free not here yeah yeah <laughs> that's cool but the japanese cover um i don't know if you can see any of these right now but the japanese cover is like it's like black and white and it's got like all of these like cutouts of cars basically strewn across the frame in weird places it, it looks like that also looks like one of the worst photoshop jobs i've ever seen but you have to look closely before you, you understand that's that terrible whereas with the american one it just comes out at you right right from the get-go um 
Yeah, another thing real quick. This game was known as Sega GT Homologation Special in Japan, yeah, which like is a is a cool name to us, but to anyone else must just sound absolutely like word <laughs> salad. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. Um so that's that's an odd take. But um, one of the things I was going to bring up um, was that the game tries to steal from Gran Turismo by having the licensing system. But, I mean, I might be wrong here because I'm going to be honest, I played about five, six hours and then I literally just couldn't face it anymore. Um, <laughs> no one's going to blame you. It's okay. <laughs> every license is basically a time trial. That's correct, isn't it? Like one time trial per license. Yeah, which actually, it's funny that you say that that was an issue because that was actually one of my favorite things about the game. Not now, favorite being used very, very loosely. <laughs> well, no, because like I hate, you know, I hated in the early days of Gran Turismo having to right. get Pliffy and understand that I knew how to go around the first corner at Suzuka. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're probably right that that is a positive, but for some reason, I just like I assume if you're going to have license tests, that there's going to be multiple tests. And even if it was the time trials, that's fine. But I'm not sure if it's like a translation issue or something, but like the game has a, a leaderboard per license of three times. That's correct, isn't it? Like there's like the time you've got to beat at the top and then two other times. Oh, sure. But yeah, yeah. If you come second or third, you don't actually get anything from the game. Like you, you have to come first to unlock the championship associated with the, the license. Yeah. So it begs the question... Why would I care about coming third or second? There's a good few times I thought I passed it and then the game was like, no, mate, you don't have the license. So, so whose time did I yeah. beat and why was it relevant? <laughs> well, you, you bring up the championship associated with the license. That's actually one of the interesting things about the licensing system in the game that I yeah. also uh, pointed out. Because I wrote uh, the first mirror mode ever, I wrote almost exactly a year ago for GT Planet, was this one. And, uh, and you can go find it. But it's interesting how you basically you complete a license but then the license can tie to a certain manufacturer now to get for example like the a license yeah. there's like six different manufacturers in the game that you can get the license through so there are six different trials now if you do the subaru one and you get and you and you clear it you have the a license at that point you can do a events but there's a separate series of events in this game called like the works cup or whatever where it's like okay if you want to participate in this specific championship on behalf of honda well you did the subaru trial but you'll have to do the honda trial and once you yeah, do the honda yeah. trial you can you actually the game tells you actually that you were a driver for honda's works team and they will give you the Honda version of the A-class car in that category, or the, you know, when you do the race cars, the, um, you know, the GT300 Honda Super GT car, or the, G or the NSX and GT500. And that actually, I think, is really cool, because it almost adds, like, a, a weird proto-project cars, yeah, like, sense to uh -huh. it, of, like, the driver journey. I know it's very rudimentary, but, like, I like the idea, like, oh, if I, if I complete this test... For Mitsubishi, I will now be a driver for Rally Art. Like, I don't know. There's, there's a weird conceit there that kind of... I can make the connections in my brain and, and get some value from that. Yeah, exactly. I think um, amongst the hilarious translation errors, <laughs> there is some good ideas behind the gameplay loop. I like the idea of basically signing with a team, which is essentially yeah. what it is. And um, if the gameplay was good on top of that, that would have been gravy. But um, Yeah. What we have here, 
and I'm sure this is something you were about to bring up as well, Adam. Um, what we have here is good ideas with an, an incredibly outrageous um, car creator tool, but the core gameplay sorry, the core gameplay loop is nowhere near good enough for me to want to even play this game past <laughs> having to to talk about it. Yeah, um, we we also gotta mention the track design is terrible. Uh, yeah, the, oh my God. yeah, there are tracks that you tend to see a lot in the championship. Um, one of which is, and they have great names like Solid Circuit, <laughs> <laughs> which is literally like, imagine like a quarter or like a third of an oval of like a tri oval, you know, <laughs> racetrack or, or a speedway rather, and then all of a sudden the track that was previously like five cars or six cars wide then narrows down to the width of two cars and given sega gt's handling model there is no way that you can traverse this section of the track where it goes from really yeah. wide to narrow without hitting the wall you will not be able to do it the first time you may not even be able to do it 10 times after that but you get through there and then um you have like a sharp you get to this like weird random mountainous section there's a sharp left and a sharp right, and again, chicanes like that are, are impossible in this game. You get through there, and then you're back on this weird, uh, this weird oval thing. It's just so many weird tracks in this game. Yeah. I, I will say the snowy mountain is the only one where I was like, "This is all right. This yeah. is okay. I can deal with this." But I think it's mostly because you spend most of that track in the tunnel, which means that you can bounce off the walls. <laughs> exactly. You you actually you want the walls in this game because that's more forgiving than just spinning endlessly in the infield. There was um, one of the tracks names that always made me laugh, and it was um, Deep Rock Road. Yes. It's like they ripped off <laughs> Deep Forest, and then um, oh, what's the name of the Gran Turismo track with Rock in the name? Oh, Red Rock Valley. Red Rock Valley, Valley. yeah. 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 So it's like they looked at those two and just went, yeah, just take a word from each of those and bash road on the end. Yeah, there's that one. There's um, a lot of tracks actually in the the Deep Rock Valley environment are just kind of, they're probably some of the easiest tracks in the game. Uh, They're like in the desert and... uh, Basically. Yeah, there's a... There's a city. I can't remember what the city ones are called, but there are two city... Oh, Night Section. That's great. I love that night, night section. section. There's night section one, oh. night section two, and uh, those are very difficult. Um, even though those have walls, they get really narrow and, and very hard to drive. And yeah, it's <clears throat> it's just at every step the gameplay is awful. Also, like you know, the Dreamcast was far and away the most powerful console at this time. Uh, you know, even when the PlayStation Two would come out. Uh, uh, you know, end of 2001, <clears throat> you wouldn't see PlayStation 2 games that really look better than Dreamcast games for a while because the PS2 was much harder for, to develop for out of the gate. So this game should have looked great, but honestly, it doesn't. Like it, it's okay. But there, there is, there was never a moment playing this game, even as a kid, where I looked at it and I was like, that looks really, really, really good. Like nothing that ever struck me on the level of like anything close to Gran Turismo three, which was obviously like the pinnacle at the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I just I think this would be an interesting thing to do for future games we look at on Dreamcast. But I'm just checking out some synopsis for reviews at the time for the game, and listen to this from Daily Radar. Sega GT is a nearly perfect racing simulation that offers hundreds of cars, dozens of options, and weeks of deep gameplay. Hmm. 
I like that we measure. I like that that was a time where we measured gameplay value in weeks. How many <laughs> yeah, weeks, weeks can I get out of this fifty dollar purchase? Um, IGN nine point two. Oh Abundant with God. options, cars, and a ton of racing modes. GT, and they're actually using that acronym, is easily the most realistic game of its time. Of its time. Oh on no, no, don't say that. <laughs> you know the funny thing is, this was a weird time for Sega because, um, you know, even though Sega GT was horrendously bad, they they didn't. I would say they didn't have their best racing game output on this console because you had this. Sega Rally 2 was it had a lot of problems as we talked about. Oh, still a good game, but definitely um, with the frame rate issues and everything, and, and being rushed at launch, wasn't partic- wasn't you know as good as it could have been. Yeah. Um, Daytona 2001, which would come out after this, is I can't wait to talk about that one because I go back and forth on this on that game. At first, I thought it was as bad as Sega GT, and I've come around on it, but it's still not a great game. Um, and F three fifty five challenge, which was very good, but I mean that game was the most limited in content of all of them. So Sega was kind of I don't know they didn't put their best foot forward with the racing games on this system. No, no. Uh, there there are there is a great sim in the form of Test Drive Lamont, which I also can't wait to talk about. But uh, yeah, Sega GT is is none of those things that were <laughs> that were just described. It really isn't, and like the the last line I read from reviews um, shows how back in the day there was like really no care for racing games handling well at all. Yeah, it was just um, outsiders trying to pass judgment because Antagonist Magazine, <laughs> funny name, <laughs> says what the fuck is two Antagonist areas. Magazine? <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Two areas where Sega's game slaughters, and that's in capital letters. Sony's Gran Turismo 2, in quotation marks. Oh Gran Turismo 2, as so called. <laughs> Depth and graphics, uh, Sega GT apparently absolutely hammers it. Um, that is wrong. That's <laughs> what we've yeah. discussed. Yeah, it, it, it is wrong. I mean, Gran. Gran Turismo 2 obviously was on a much worse uh, in terms of technology system, so it's like you can't... It's apples to oranges there. Um, yeah, no, the the, the con- lack of consideration for handling is interesting. I think a lot of uh, the the early days of games, games journalism, uh, they they didn't have anyone you know they maybe weren't as focused on like covering the niche of racing games or the niche of sports games or whatever, so like Basically, you had these people play as games that like really weren't particularly good at any racing game. So they were like, "Well, if it's hard, it must be realistic." Because we were also very early uh, in Gran Turismo's reign, so there wasn't a lot of experience, I think, among uh, you know mainstream game journalists about, or really any games journalists about sim racers. So that's how they were able to get away with this. I like to refer to that form of uh, journalism as journalism, where it's like yeah. it has to be covered. Yeah. But there's nobody there attached to give it the the respect and care it needs, and I find it weird. It's one of these insults that's kind of thrown around to like IGN and GameSpot because they're kind of the, the big large companies. But I think I've talked before. Like IGN actually has a decent uh, group of two or three individuals who are properly into racing games. So more than you would expect, their opinions on racing games these days tend to be um, pretty good. But back in the day when it was like magazine driven, a magazine driven business really, um, they would have to churn out like 20 reviews per copy each month. So yeah. 
I mean, I don't know about you, Adam, but I, I bought a lot of games on the basis of these reviews, and then when actually buying it, it was like, oh, that was a bad decision. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, it happened <clears throat> very often with racing games at the time for reasons yeah. we discussed. Um, but we'll get into the Sega GT's one thing that it did really well, but also it's hard to say really well because like there's really no barometer for this feature in any other game because nobody else does it. Is um, is the Karaziera and uh, I don't know if that's how you say it. There's a couple eyes in there, but anyway, um, it's <laughs> uh, so it's a, essentially it gives you the ability to make your own car, and it's very. It covers all the... I mean, it doesn't cover all the bases, but, like, it, it definitely is sufficient for a feature like that in a game like this because you start out basically determining, you know, how big do you want the engine to be, and then that informs, you know, how big the car is, essentially, and also uh, various other aspects. Like, unfortunately, because it's locked behind the licensing system as far as, like, the size of the engine you can build you won't probably won't play the game long enough to be able to build a supercar but exactly. then you also probably can't drive a supercar so it really doesn't matter <laughs> um but yeah it's like you can you can choose the number of cylinders you can choose the uh the the size you can choose the aspiration you can choose the drive wheels you can choose the body style i mean it's it basically hits all the the major bullet points uh, of how you would you know a lay person would build a car and it it works i mean it's it's kind of quaint when you go back and it's like okay i built this car and now i have to pick between three three very generic looking body styles <laughs> but at the same time i do like that you know you can make that decision of like i want a six cylinder i want inline six in you know uh, a front engine rear wheel drive car and i want it to weigh this much and you know, it's nice. It's it's something that you don't get from any other racing game, even now. Yeah, exactly. It's just a shame that it's wasted on a game whose handling model probably doesn't take any of that into consideration enough to actually make a difference because you're too you're too focused on trying to keep the damn thing on a straight line. Yeah, yeah, and that's why it really doesn't matter if you build something that's powerful enough because it, you won't be able to drive it. Um, that said, you know, interesting. They were kind of pushing that as like a a main feature of the game <clears throat> uh, as it was being marketed and whatnot which is smart but again for reasons we discussed not something you're going to get much value out of i did want to send this to you because this is something i actually remembered from when i was a kid and uh i'll send it along right now so i remember reading magazines um like the official dreamcast magazine or whatever yeah and uh Sega GT had this very odd ad campaign that, in retrospect, was quite racist. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> do <you> explain. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know if you can see that, but uh, it was basically, like, they took out these, like, two-page ads, like, completely just, like, dominated um, the pages, and, like, it was Sega GT's... Uh, Basically, giving you racing tips from a, a man, a gentleman named Benny Moto. Uh, but yeah, but his his tagline was Benny Moto, go crazy fast, okay? And oh, um, once you once you read some of the clips uh, or the clips, the little uh, suggestions and, and pieces of advice that Benny Mo Benny Moto gives you, um, it very quickly and also the the 
Asian woman kind of like, you know, almost like a, a show, a showgirl or something like that, a car show, just kind of like uh, posing with the car and posing on top of the car. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the undertones start to come through. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, look, I, I, I am actually kind of right now being like my own worst enemy here because I usually complain about when people retroactively try to ascribe uh, various bits of media to the to standards of 2018 if even if they were made 20 years ago but even at the time i thought this was weird because like um i mean actually i i didn't think it was weird because of the racism aspect because i was like six but like th- there was something unsettling about this like uh are you hardcore have this beefy spring please it's good for you without a trick suspension the hairball track will shake your head up and down like one of those stupid dogs in the back window so <laughs> So yeah, it's uh, it's well, out there. Um, it's not much great. like everything else to do with the game. So you could say at least they're keeping the theme. They are keeping a the theme, and you you had mentioned that like the translation is awful in this game. So it's weird that they tried to of all the things they could have conveyed through a print ad, they try to get the English across. It's just a very strange title, all things considered. Um, <laughs> we talked about the developers, especially. But one of the titles that really stood out to me was a, a GBA title they made called Pinball of the Dead. <laughs> that shows oh. the level of confidence that Sega had in the studio after a while, that they were just like, yeah, you just make pinball games over there. <laughs> we'll let you I know didn't... if we make a third Sega GT game. You know, there's a typing of the dead, but I never knew about Pinball of the Dead. Yeah, I knew about typing of the dead as well, because I actually think it's really cool. But um, I've never played Pinball of the Dead, but yeah, it's listed there on Wikipedia, so it must be true. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I, I'm still looking at this ad. I'm just in awe of, of these quotes um, <laughs> from from our from our Benny Modo. Uh, yeah, so yeah, do do dig those up because they're very strange. One of the unfortunate things about Sega GT is that, in spite of the fact that it's not a very good game, there's no information out there about it you know even if it isn't very good even if many people probably wouldn't be willing to learn about its development or you know what what the developers were thinking or you know maybe get an interview from the main producer of the game i you know i scoured the web trying to find that stuff and it just doesn't exist it seems to be completely a title lost to time and, you know, maybe there wasn't even a massive marketing push behind it from Sega to begin with, which, having played the game, we can kind of understand why now. But uh, it, it would it would still be nice if there were uh, if there were quotes out there, some insight into development. But unfortunately, the best we have is just uh, it's just us ragging on it here on Time Extend. Well, at least its legacy of mediocrity lives on. Yes, as it always will. And... Uh, Right after this game was uh, was released, well, not right after this game was released, but um, very soon after, as we were saying, the Dreamcast was discontinued. And there was actually a sequel in development, uh, Sega GT 2002 is what it would end up be, being called. But it was being developed for the Dreamcast, I imagine it was in the early stages uh, before Sega pulled the plug. That ended up moving to Xbox, and... I mean, to be honest, Sega GT 2002 isn't a great game either, but it's worlds better than this one. Like, it's... The handling model isn't good 
well, I mean, it's it's fine, but it's not undrivable. You can actually play that game to completion, which is more than can be said about this one. So if you have any interest in exploring this era of Sega's attempt to, to go after Polyphony, uh, do do play 2002. It's a much better game in, in every sense. Yeah, I mean, if it's playable, like you've just said, then it already is 100 times better than Sega GT. So who knows, maybe we'll do a... Uh, Xbox retrospective series at some point where we can talk about that and Richard Burns Rally and the original Forza games but for uh, now we're, we're Dreamcast up <laughs> yeah yeah. I've never played Richard Burns Rally so I'd love uh, I'd love to hear about it they never released that in the states here except on PC so that's crazy so good as well yeah it's a classic classic I know nothing about <laughs> one of the rare few then <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Well, um, I mean, rally games, especially back then, like they didn't, you know. We, I can't, I still can't find the copy of Shocks. I, ever since like we had that show <laughs> and you told me to like look out for it and everything, like I was like, I'm gonna play that game. Still haven't been able to find it. I visit so many retro game shops, no one ever has it in stock. So, yeah. Well, I know what to get you for Christmas. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> Send you a copy of Shocks to bring it'll, in. The it'll be things. more. It'll be more worth it than the uh, the pounds uh, <laughs> of uh, Tokyo Extreme Racer that yeah, you you definitely. could have could have shipped that would have then been like you know ten dollars in shipping. <laughs> oh, I, I would pay a hundred dollars in shipping for shocks. <laughs> and that's that's why you're on the show. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the love for irrelevant re- arcade racers is what makes this show possible, I guess. Uh, well, that is our seventh episode of Time Extend. Um, yeah, uh, you can find my Crew 2 story on Tom's Guide, uh, Reasons Why You Shouldn't Shouldn't Play It, and also find my stuff on GT Planet occasionally, and that's just about all that I have going on. Uh, oh yeah, and the Pioneer Spine on Twitter. Yeah, um find me on twitter at brendwings uh no longer writing for any active websites but i do have my own personal blog that you can find on my twitter account where i'll ramble every so often but um it's all about that time extend baby <laughs> yeah and uh you can expect brendan's uh long form 12-part diary on the, the career of shocks uh, coming <laughs> you know starting starting in august you'll you'll get to be treated to that feature so look out for it yeah, talk about shocks and um, fawn over my new Civic Type R as well. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, you guys said to- we really should talk more about that than any of these terrible games. Uh, that could be a cool discussion topic at some point, though. Talking about the cars that we have driven, and I mean, you've got a really good da- daily driver as well, right now, Adam. So yeah, I got FSST. Although because I haven't played a Forza game in a while, I think that's the only game that has it. So unless you count Dirt, but I don't ever rally rally my car so i can't speak <laughs> to that um oh also real quick the the one last thing i'm going to say about sega gt is that the soundtrack is terrible and i'll just <laughs> oh yeah good terrible. point good point the, the, the most offensive thing about that. any about any sega game is to have a bad soundtrack and it's really really bad so yeah <clears throat> uh all right then we will see you at a later date to be determined <laughs> <laughs> yep see you next time guys thanks for listening <laughs>